not because I think when someone asks you a question, you say, oh, you're a pluralist. <laughs> In fact, I think most of the time, these terms are never gonna come up between you and a seeker or skeptic in conversation. And I don't think they should. But I do think they're important for us to understand because they're touch points for us. As we hear a person present a question and it helps us to reach into our toolbox and say, this is the tool I need for that particular challenge. This is Study with Friends, a weekly dive into the answers and questions we find in the Bible, the church, and the broader Christian faith. I'm Paige, and this week we continue expanding our apologetics toolbox as we start to wrap up our multi-series focus on the book, Searching for God. This episode is part of a series. You can get the rest of the episodes, learn more about the guests in this series, about the resources we provide, and the larger work that we are doing all at studywithfriends.org. I'm Holly. I'm always here. I'm a teacher and a co-founder here at um, Study With Friends. I have two kids. They're both in college, and I've been married for a long, long time. Andrea. Hello. Um, I'm Andrea. I am on the board here at Study With Friends, mom of two little boys, uh, nine and 11. I've been attending um, a Presbyterian church now. So I'm Caroline. I am also on the board for Study With Friends, newly, newly minted. I was raised Catholic. Um, I've actually, I guess I consider myself church shopping. I've married, we'll be 21, three teenage boys. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate. Uh, I'm a full-time college student that's graduating in May. Scary. Exciting and scary. Um, I would also say that I am also church shopping, but when I'm not, I attend a non-denominational church. Well, we've just been trying to weave into the Bible studies that we do some equipping in the area of doubts and questions. And that was a large part due to this young lady on my left. So I was saying this before we mic'd up. And then I said, wait, should I just wait and tell all the people what I'm (laughs) telling you? So what we're doing, this is the last bit. We may do two sittings. I I think it would be good if we could, to be honest, because there's so many questions, but... We'll see how it goes. This is the last bit of the series, Searching for God, which is this book, Searching for God, and a uh, video series that goes with it. I was a collaborator on this series, and uh, blessed to be such. Uh, And it's basically, you know, understanding um, the culture of faith, in America, for the most part, we're not really dealing with other countries. This is really a study on American culture and um, the competing ideas that have um, sort of come up against Christianity, uh, some of the cultural factors that have caused a decline in the acceptance of Christianity. So there's a lot about that in the book, a lot about that in the uh, video series that goes with this book. It's also called Searching for God. And uh, so we've done on this, on our Study with Friends episodes, we have been working through sort of the principles in this book. And then I have been weaving in really my approach to um, difficult conversations because one of the things that I would love for us to take away is getting into an argument is not the move. Like allowing it to be a conflict is not the move. If you want to be 
a trustworthy witness for Christ, we have to be peacemakers first. Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk about that principle and how it impacts and exerts itself on a good strategy for apologetics and just quickly to define what apologetics are it's really it's a fancy word for saying how we defend our faith and so we looked at several things and i'm going to go over them with you now and i do want you guys to try to take it in let's be the audience be be representatives of the people who might just be picking this up now so the first um, competing idea that we see in American culture is really pervasive is naturalism. A person who's a naturalist, who believes in naturalism, really simply just doesn't believe that anything supernatural exists. So it's kind of easy to remember natural is the opposite of supernatural. Like if, if you can taste, touch, feel, experience it with your senses, observe it, measure it, that's natural. And scientists often fall into this, or people who lean on science as their methodology of faith. These are often naturalists. For naturalists, my approach is typically to begin with the idea that a God is possible. So one of the things that we, I think, unfortunately do in Christianity is we um, start with an argument from inside the Bible. When the truth of the matter is, when you're dealing with people who are seekers and skeptics, they aren't starting within the context of the Bible. They're starting within the context of the culture and ideas that they bring to the table in their own life. And really, in many cases, the Bible's completely foreign to them. So we can't really start with, well, God did this. Because, especially for a naturalist, often they are atheists. And so... You'll see as we approach some questions, if questions like that come up, the way that I sort of walk us through a God is possible and in fact probable. And as we walk through the series, as I walk through this quick overview, this is also the way that I think you have to function when it comes to uh, doing apologetic work. You got to start from big and work your way down. So we're not, we, we know that the resurrection and Christ crucified and, and raised is the core of our faith. You can't really start there. You have to kind of start with, is there a God? Is it possible? Is it probable? If there is a God, has he revealed himself to us in any meaningful way? If so, what is the most likely way that that happened? And you work your way into, I guess I'm using my hands to make some sort of concentric circles, into the core of our faith, which is the resurrection, right? So I think that's an important mindset. We get a little bit jammed up when we see like people in church or a quick video of someone doing street evangelism and someone having a conversion like that because we think that then the expectation is that we should be able to have a conversation and someone's converted immediately. And that's really not how life typically works. Typically, you're going to work with someone for years and years before. I'm looking at her. She's we're laughing because she can tell you. But um, for a long time to help persuade them and deal with the doubts that they have and to allow God to use you as a person who loves them and exemplifies faith in their life. That's a process. It's not typically an instant thing. Not typically. God can do. We won't put God in a box. He can do whatever he wants to do. But I think it's good for us as Christians to take that bar away. It's just God is looking for our heart. He's not looking for an instant transaction. 
And so the heart takes a while to be moved, um, especially depending on how entrenched it is where it already is. Okay, so with naturalism, we're dealing with that big question. Um, we really start with that big question because you can't really talk about miracles or the body and the soul. A lot of atheists believe there is no soul, right? So there's a lot of elements that live inside naturalism. Creation is certainly one of them. I like to start with creation because I think there's a really simple, really cogent argument that you can make that at least makes a person think it's possible there's a God. Okay, so we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. One of my questions I wrote down actually. Great, been in tee that me up, already. girl. Tee me up. Okay, I will. <laughs> so, naturalism is one of the one of the big three that competes in our culture. The other, uh, the second is relativism. Relativism is basically the idea that there is no absolute truth. Now, we as Christians believe that there is absolute truth. We believe that absolute truth can be found in the person and work of Christ, in the Trinity, in the ways that God has revealed himself to us through the world, through natural order, like gravity, <laughs> and also through what we call special revelation, which is his word, the Bible. We believe those things have absolute truth. That that's not relative truth. Like, well, it's true for Andrea, but it's not true for me. It is absolute truth. Whether you believe it or not, some things are true, but not everybody agrees with that. Some people think that truth is relative and you can define your truth and I can define mine. And we hear the phrase, speak your truth. I actually, I affirm, affirm that at its core because it's, I think colloquially the way that people use that when they say speak their tr your truth, what they really mean is your personal feelings matter and you shouldn't be squashed as far as your personal relationships. And it's, it's taken on a little bit of a mental health component mm -hmm. when you say speak your truth, but it actually started um, with this relative truth. Uh, well, you can believe that Jesus is the deity, but I believe that there's another deity and that's my truth and I, I respect your truth and I need you to respect my truth and so uh, you know our culture has evolved into this place where um, it's anathema to propose that your belief system is wrong that's really cancelable so that's relativism is at the root of people getting canceled because they say you're wrong and I'm right when it comes to faith and the truth is somebody's got to be right. right and we'll talk about that as we talk about pluralism pluralism and i'm going to say religious pluralism because pluralism can take on a lot of great attributes like we love that america is a pluralist society we have lots of cultures and we have lots of ethnicities and that's plural that's cultural pluralism so pluralism in and of itself isn't bad but religious pluralism is the idea that we all are basically going to the same place when we die. Just be good and you'll get to heaven. And it doesn't really matter which God you worship. We're all basically worshiping the same God and we're all going to go to the same place. It really ties closely to relativism because it's that idea that, so I'm using you, Caroline, because you're right across from me. Caroline's journey to spirituality is just as valid as mine your truth, my truth, and we're all going to get to the same place. So that's how relativism and pluralism sort of intersect. 
I'm raising these because, not because I think when someone asks you a question, you say, oh, you're a pluralist. <laughs> In fact, I think most of the time, these terms are never going to come up between you and a seeker or skeptic in conversation. And I don't think they should. But I do think they're important for us to understand because they're touch points for us. As we hear a person present a question, we can put it in a box. Oh, that question falls in this box. And it helps us to reach into our toolbox and say, this is the tool I need for that particular mm -hmm. challenge. So if you're doing a, um, a household project and you see a Phillips head screw, you know what tool to reach for. You're not going to reach for a wrench. You're going to reach for a Phillips head screwdriver so that you can do what needs to be done, apply what needs to be applied to that challenge to make what needs to happen, happen. And we did a ton of this in the book, and we've done a ton of this in previous episodes. So if you're not getting what you need from this episode, please go back because we did a lot of foundational building and we took our time with it, and I'm sort of rushing through it now. So I, I talked to you about naturalism and how generally the tool is to try to help someone understand the possibility and probability of a god. In relativism, it's a little bit trickier because I think all across the board, we have to be really careful not to offend people. Um, and, and so in relativism, you have to gently assert that they must believe that some things are true. Without being snarky, you know, you could raise things like, listen, whether I believe it or not, if I hold a rock and then I let it go, it's going to fall to earth because gravity is true. And you can, you can ask the Lord to reveal to you the type of truth that would be most meaningful to that person. But if, if you really get to the core of it, my friend Paul Copan, who did the introduction for the book, and he's a great guy, and he has a really great way of saying this. People don't believe in relative truth when it comes to the capital of France or who won the Super Bowl. They only start to assert relative truth when it comes to things that affect their way of living. Morality. Morality, <coughs> ethics, a set of rules that they don't want to adhere to. So we'll talk about ways to gently steer someone into seeing that without making them feel like you are on the opposite side. Okay, but I just raise that in a general term before we get started so that we understand where we're going. So relativism being there is no absolute truth. And then you reach into your toolbox and figure out something. If you know they're a football fan, if you know they're whatever, if they like to travel, whatever, you can reach into your toolbox and dot box and find a truth that you know they don't think is relative and start with that. Uh, and then pluralism is the everybody's going to the same place. We all worship basically the same God. And um, really the truth of the matter is, and I hate to say this, I don't want it to be offensive, but People who assert that are showing a fundamental lack of understanding of the major world religions because the major world religions have competing truth claims. And so they can't all be valid. God can either be one or three, but he can't be both. So if we have competing truth claims in our different world religions, then how can they all be equally valid? We'll talk about how to gently sort of raise that. Okay, so speaking of gently raising things, let's see if I stick with my toolbox analogy and we think about the Phillips head and um, the wrench and the things, that, the tools that are in the toolbox. I would say that the toolbox itself, the, the structure that holds the tools, the thing with the handle, um, would be for me um, 
disarm and deconstruct. And that's something I'd like us to say and remember. Um, just as much as we take a hold of the naturalism, relativism, and pluralism, because you reach into the toolbox and you don't want to bring out the tool and then crack them over the head with it. Right. Okay, I'll use this the Phillips head thing again, right? So if I use a drill, this has happened to me way too many times because I'm not great with tools, so there's irony. Um, <laughs> if I have a Phillips head and I put the Phillips head drill in and I just go, <laughs> I'm stripping it, right? I mean, I'm so easily stripping that and then I'm, I, I'm in trouble because either I can't get it out or I can't get it in or I've stripped that, that screw because I put too much force on that procedure. And so we, we want to be able to put the appropriate amount of pressure on the challenge without overusing the strength of our argument. And I truly believe, and I spent a lot of time thinking about What's the right way to do this? And then how can I boil it into something that's punchy? And disarm and deconstruct is intentionally the same letter at the beginning, intentionally just two words because I want it to be something that we can really remember. Disarm being how can I show this person that I am on their side, that I am not the enemy, that I don't want to get into an argument, and then deconstruct gently taking apart the argument that they are making and showing them sort of the insides of that argument. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's always got to be disarmed first. If I start by deconstructing, I'm going to hurt their feelings. I'm going to make them feel stupid. I may win the argument, but I'm going to lose the relationship or I'm going to damage the relationship. And again, Christ calls us to be peacemakers and to be love and to be image bearers of of his truth and we can't really do that by being hurtful and so these are tricky conversations to get into holly can i jump in and say something sure what's really interesting about that and this is how you and i i think became close because before right before actually holly and i um met i was in mops which is mothers of preschoolers it takes place typically out of a a church, doesn't matter necessarily the denomination. And there was um, another leader. She was actually on the leadership board of this group. And she knew where I stood as far as really, I was just a mom looking for some, you know, fellowship and socialization. I wasn't seeking to get my relationship closer with Christ or anything like that, or even know what I believed at that time. And she was like super evangelist. Like she was like, this is the only way, this is the right way, you're wrong, this is it. Like it was, she, her intentions, I, I think were good. I'm not 100% sold on it because it put such a bad taste in my mouth mm -hmm. because of not doing exactly what you were just talking about, about making it, you feel like bad almost mm -hmm. about what you believe, um, that you're wrong and that they're right. So every time I've heard you talk about this several times, but it's, I just think for someone who's hearing this for the first time, it's actually super important. I probably one of the most important arguments that I can make towards this whole series is that really taking the time to build the relationship, nurture the relationship and trust that God has a plan of really like softening that person's heart over time and figuring out like how to, let that person feel that you're not the enemy and mm -hmm. that you're really just trying to, you know, be friends with them and have a relationship with them without necessarily having the open ulterior, ulterior motive, motive, ulterior motive yeah. of converting that, like right? like a notch on yeah. your belt of exactly. like, I did this thing. But mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably, you know, the foundation for many 
if not most people's, I, I don't know, what's the word, turned offedness, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, to faith mm-hmm. in general. I mean, you know, again, coming from Catholicism, 12 years Catholic education, it was, this is it. This is it. This is what you do. You know, not taking the time to say, well, what do you believe? And why do you believe? And how did you get there? Explain it to me. Because I really don't know. I think I know, but I really don't know. And I, I do see a trend within the Catholic Church where that convert, that dialogue has is changing. Like that dialogue is occurring where there's just honest to goodness curiosity mm-hmm. and openness. And a validation and la- and, of and like, we are about all... It. Right. We all right. have doubts. Right. Oh, for sure. But like, you know, Trinity or uh, you know, the Eucharist, the Holy Eucharist, Catholics asking other Catholics, do you know why we believe that? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a practice. I think it's changing. It's a, uh, and it's, it's a good change. It's a good thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I think it, the culture has forced it. And I think it's wise when the church responds. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you guys saying that. That's probably as important as the other foundations we're trying to set here. What Do you have any comment on that? Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, do we do like a why do you believe series? I uh, Basically, that's what this is. Um, but I off, often talk about the book, Know Why You Believe. And okay. I think I probably gave you that book. Because I have it with me today. Oh, <laughs> I know I gave her that book. <laughs> I buy it in packs of 10. I do. And I give it out like candy because uh, it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. It's a really handy, like, it, you don't have to read it chronologically. And you can just, like, look up a question. It's the, the chapters are the questions. And you can just dive into the questions that matter the most to you. So I give it away a lot because, you know, I can't do all the work. But I think... Um, coming from Caroline's approach with Catholicism, uh, the Christian school that I went to had like the same thing where like we didn't really address doubts. And that's why I liked why we did like the Dealing with Doubt series. And I think I mentioned in that series like the school and just kind of how I had like a lot of questions and I had a lot of doubts and I felt afraid to bring those up because nobody else was asking them. Mm-hmm. And I think also I thought that they like expected us to know the answers to that. So I was like, oh, this is going to be really embarrassing if I ask this. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else is like, you don't know that? Yeah. So I think, and I haven't been there since I've graduated really. So um, I think hopefully that they've incorporated like, you know, letting the students yeah. ask questions about like the doubts that they have and like bringing them to light because I know everyone had like you the know, same You know, I'm going to tell you a yep. secret. Secretly, I thought I wished to myself that I had time because I have such a love for that school and the people in it. And secretly, I wished to myself that I had time to go down and do an apologetics class at that at that school. Really Not good. that they would let me. <laughs> Why would they? But yeah. but because at, especially in the high school, mm-hmm. that is when you're really mm-hmm. starting to synthesize what I've learned and how plays out on the hot pavement of life and I love those conversations anytime either of my girls would we would have lots of conversations in this house with my girls and their groups of friends and like youth group I Mm -hmm. did uh, sat with them a lot like that's when kids are thinking about it and you got to make a safe place you got to make the church world Christian school youth group we've got to normalize the conversation about doubt and why do we believe this we have to normalize and we're just doing our tiny little part to try to make that happen here
This program is produced by Study with Friends. Learn more about us at studywithfriends.org and sign up there for email devotionals or download our Bible studies for free. If you are blessed by our work, please consider supporting our ministry with a donation. We believe in the local church. Please find a congregation where you can plug in and experience all aspects of the Christian life. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time when we study with friends. Uh